So the last couple of lessons, we've uh, started with the golden rule, and uh, this one's not going to be any different. So turn with me to Matthew 7, and we're going to be reading in verse 12. Do to others whatever you like them to do to you. This is the essence of all that is taught in the law and the prophets. Because it all comes down to that a better path is to serve rather than be served. Thank you, guys. Uh, and, and, and we could stop right there, except for we just don't, or well, or at least I just don't always get it. What is it that I don't get, you ask? Good question. Uh, what it seems that I don't get is who are others? And of course, we know who the others are, but we don't act like we know who others are. Uh, men are others, women are others, wives are others, husbands are others, others are others, everyone but me is another. And this is not suggesting some sort of uh, ascetic or austere way of living, but rather that a wiser way of living is serving others, and that's better for them and for me. So for tonight, most of you have guessed by the title that we're going to be spending a little time looking at Jacob and Esau, and you'd be right. And if you'd like to uh, uh, turn toward Genesis 25, we'll get there directly. We all have read Stu's stories, and so the real question is what to do about it. Uh, I have a bunch, and one that happened kind of a couple of years ago. It concerned the back porch. Uh, it's an outdoor porch, and it's not enclosed or anything. And so Meryl and I just finished the backyard, and so I think to myself, uh, it'd be easier to mow the leaves off the back porch uh, rather than pick them out. No problem. It's a great plan, and I have the mower, and it's running. And, uh, but then I make a hasty choice. I just have to decide whether to move mow over this very flat, surface-hugging doormat or not. Uh, wait. <laughs> if I don't, uh, you know, if I, if I mow over it, I don't have to stop the mower, I don't have to pick it up, I don't have to restart the mower, I don't have to, you know, clear by the door, then, you know, start the mower back up again and, and, and finish up. Or I could just mow over it since, of course, it's flat and surface-hugging, right? So I guess I deluded myself into thinking everything was going to be okay and um, everything was not okay. Uh, and, 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 and it might have worked, but it did, didn't. But even if it did, that doesn't mean it was a good idea. And, and for some of you who have done this successfully, it's still not a good idea. The point is we all have tendencies to take the shortcuts through life thinking it's a good thing when it's not a good thing. You've probably done this when you pick up something from one of those impulse items at the end caps in stores. Have you seen those things? Uh, you hastily buy it because you need it. It wasn't on your shopping list. You've never talked about it with anyone. As a matter of fact, you didn't even know it existed until three seconds ago. But, hey, who needs logic or careful consideration when you can impulsively embrace the wonders of retail therapy? Who needs a plan when you have this irresistible urge to buy something you never know you needed and may never use? It's like a game of shopping roulette where the thrill of the unexpected outweighs the practicality of responsible uh, decision making. Just remember to enjoy that momentary satisfaction because it may become another forgotten item at the back of your closet or garage joining the ranks of the what was I thinking club. I hope it's pain, uh, painfully clear, it is to me, uh, that we're not as smart as we think we are, and we're often deluded. 
by our own decision-making process, and you're, you're going to hear this again uh, and again tonight, but excuses become reasons and reasons become behaviors. One of my favorite excuses is that it could happen or, even worse, it happened to someone else, so it will happen to me. It's the classic case of that one-hit wonder sort of delusion. We see a celebrity pull off a bold fashion choice, so we might delude ourselves into thinking, hey, I can rock the same style. Or you, know, you watch a do-it-yourself uh, a tutorial where someone is effortlessly creating this beautiful piece of furniture, and we think, I could do that. Now, some of you can, but some of you can't. And some of you think you can, but you can't. So, you know... Or I see a, a friend achieve rap, rapid weight loss through a particular diet, and I might delude myself into thinking it's a good idea to follow the same plan only to find out it's either unsustainable or worse yet, unhealthy. Or I observe somebody making significant gains in the stock market, and I think, oh man, that's a really good plan. It's a foolproof strategy only to find out that the market's unpredictable and their luck was a, uh, merely a fluke. Or hearing the story of someone finding their soulmate through the chance encounter. Someone might delude themselves into thinking that they should rely solely on fate to find love, neglecting the importance of actively pursuing meaningful connections and putting in an effort. Or, 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 so many. And your, your ors are probably better, better than mine. So let's take a look at what a red uh, stew story is. Uh, first, it has to have a hasty decision in it. Hasty is defined by Webster's, is done uh, or made in a hurry, fast or typically superficial, acting too quickly, overly eager or impatient, and I would add to this impetuous. Similarly, uh, it has to have deluded decision, and these are ones that are deceived by false beliefs. So it has to have both of those elements. And I know what you're thinking to yourself, but, 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 and I understand the buts, you can, make hasty, uh, you can make choices promptly, but not hastily. And you can make bad decisions with your eyes wide open, and you know that they're bad decisions, but you make them anyway. So to be clear, hasty is not the same as prompt, and deluded is not the same as knowing better. Those kinds of decisions are for a different day, but tonight we're gonna be looking at what to do about deluded, hasty decisions, uh, whether they are the cause by other people, or circumstances, or possibly something else. So, there are a number of ways to promote deluded decisions, but two of the most common are called confirmation bias and, and self-serving bias. I'm gonna get a little academic, but not too much. Uh, they're really two, you know, two flavors of kind of the same thing. In interviewing, confirmation is bias where I decide the candidate I want, and I light up the facts that support my conclusion, ignore or I don't pursue the facts that are counter to my choice. In self-serving bias, I pretty much do the same thing, but it's always to serve my interests. So I light up the things that serve up my, uh, my interests and I tend to ignore uh, things that don't. Either way, I give myself license for bad decision-making. And so tonight we're gonna be looking at these and what I call red stew stories. Uh, so. Uh, turn with me to Genesis 25, and we're going to be looking at uh, Esau and Jacob. We're going to be uh, starting in verse 27. And the boys grew, and Esau was a cunning hunter, a man of the field, and Jacob was a plain man dwelling in tents. 
And Isaac loved Esau because he did eat of his venison, but Rebekah loved Jacob. And Jacob sawed pottage, which means to, to cook or boil pottage. And Esau came from the field, and he was faint. And Esau said to Jacob, Feed me, I pray thee, with some red pottage or, or stew. For I am faint, therefore was his name called Edom. And Jacob said, Sell me this day thy birthright. And Esau said, Behold, I am at the point to die. What profit shall this birthright do to me? And Jacob said, Swear to me this day. And he sware unto him, and he sold his birthright unto Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and pottage of lentils, and he did eat and drink, rose up, went on his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. So we see Esau coming up with his delusions, his self-serving bias, if you will. He comes up with an excuse, and that fosters a belief, and that creates a behavior. Remember, you really rarely have to be uh, come up with an excuse for a good idea. Uh, Esau doesn't say, hey, that sounds like a good idea. Esau's, uh, his, uh, his excuse is, what good is my birthright if I'm dead? And most scholars contend that Jacob wasn't going to die. He, came, he walked into camp under his own uh, powers, so he's, he was probably you know, hungry to be sure, but it probably wasn't as bad as he made the excuse seem that it would be. And so this in story emphasizes how Esau's intense hunger led him to a hasty and deluded decision. It's his red stew story. Meanwhile, we see here an example of Jacob being shrewd and ambitious. And this is what was the way he was throughout his life. He, he saw an opportunity to gain power or authority or prosperity, and he, and, and he takes it. Uh, and I think he also made a decision hastily uh, here. Esau comes in and says, I'm starving. Give me some of that red stuff. And Jacob thinks, hmm, this is my golden ticket. Esau is impetuous, and he's not very disciplined. I can use this to my advantage. But we see Jacob coming up with his own excuses and reasons for his deluded decisions. And most of us know that Jacob was a trickster, he was shrewd, and he was conniving. And later he saw an opportunity to gain power and authority and prosperity through obtaining his father's blessing. His desire stemmed from longing for personal greatness and a thirst for privileges and advantages associated with this. This thirst caused division with his brothers, it caused a fear for his life. It caused separation for his homeland. It is his red stew story. And so when he's returning to meet Esau, he wrestles with God. He forces the angel to give him a blessing. And then he, something remarkable happens. God calls him what he is. He's not a trickster. He's not shrewd. He's not a deceiver, unless you count himself. He's called Israel one that struggles with God. And I think here we find out something that sometimes I tend to overlook. When I decide to make hasty uh, choices and deluded decisions, sometimes it's just being foolish, but sometimes it's struggling to use the wisdom that God has asked me to use. And I am the victim of my own red stew story. You see, we, Jacob, Esau, we come up with our excuses, and then when our excuses become the reasons, and then those reasons become behaviors, and those behaviors feed into our deluded decision-making, and that feeds into future excuses and reason and puts us firmly at the center of our own red stew stories. 
So let's look at another one. King Saul, I think, is a, a one that we're familiar with. Turn with me, to, if you will, to 1 Samuel 13. Uh, we're going to be starting with verse uh, 5 there. Most of you remember Saul was the first king of uh, Israel. He was anointed by God. He's been selected by Lot in front of Israel. He's endorsed by Samuel. He's defeated Nahash, the king of the Ammonites. And Nahash was the primary reason why they wanted a king in the first, uh, first place, and Saul came through for him. He's endorsed by the majority of the people after his leadership was demonstrated, and the people are now saying, now, now we have a king. And I think this is where Saul's red stew story begins. So uh, we're going to be picking up 1 Samuel 13, verse 5. Now the Philistines assembled to fight with Israel, 30,000 chariots and 6,000 horsemen and people like the sand, uh, which is on the seashore in abundance. And they came up and camped in Michmash, east of Beth Haven. And when the men of Israel saw that they were in a strait, for the people were hard pressed and the people hid themselves in caves and thickets and cliffs and cellars and in pits. And some of the Hebrews crossed the Jordan from, into the land of Gad and Gilead. But as for Saul, he was still in Gilgal and all the people followed him trembling. Now he waited seven days according to the appointed times uh, set by Samuel. But Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and the people were scattering from him. So Saul said, bring to me the burnt offering and the peace offering. And he offered the burnt offering. And as soon as he finished offering the burnt offering, behold, Samuel came. And Saul went out to meet him and greet him. But Samuel says, what have you done? And Saul said, because I saw the people were scattering from me and you did not come within the appointed days and that the Philistines were assembling at Michmash. Therefore I said, now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal and I have not asked for the favor of the Lord. So I forced myself and offered the burnt offering. I will do what I want when I want to get what I want. The people were scattering, so I felt compelled to sacrifices. Excuses become reasons, reasons become behaviors. Circumstances was an excuse for Saul to make a bad decision. Reading on in verse 13, Samuel said to Saul, you have acted foolishly. You have not kept the commandments of the Lord your God, which he commanded you. For now the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever, but now your kingdom shall not endure. The Lord has sought out for himself a man after his own heart, and the Lord had appointed him ruler over his people because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. So Samuel tells Saul what the consequences are for his hasty decision. And there's nothing he can do about it except choose how he will live his life moving forward. And unfortunately, King Saul does not learn from this and he feels comfortable in his deluded decision making and, and things do not go uh, well for you, well for him. So I looked up uh, on the internet uh, uh, what causes hasty decisions and you know so it's probably uh, true. They're pretty good and I don't think uh, any of these will be surprising. So the root causes of hasty decisions, impatience and the desire for immediate gratification, fear and anxiety, leading to rash choices to escape or avoid discomfort, lack of wisdom and reliance on our own understanding. All of these, I think, are dead on describing Saul's red stew story. And I'm afraid I often have them in play for my own red stew story. So 
uh, to this would be the book of James. Now, James is talking about the tongue. But in the middle of that discussion, he speaks about wisdom and how to attain it. And I think that kind of applies here. So in James chapter 3 and in verse 13, we're going to be uh, reading there. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done, watch this, and the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is, first of all, pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. There are two principles uh, that James gives us that are so extraordinary if we could get them in our minds and our hearts and they change everything. So James gives us this, uh, these principles, and you may disagree with this and say, but they're not simple. But I'm telling you, whatever age that you are, and wherever you are in your own like hasty choice journey, if you'll embrace these principles James gives us, you'll be able to do more than diluted decisions. And um, so, in verse 13, James says, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in humility that come from wisdom. James asks a question. He says, Who is wise and understanding among you? Wisdom means who has insight. James gives us kind of two options here. Plan A, if you think you're wise, then you're buying what I'm selling. Or plan B, no, I just want to make hasty decisions and, you know, hasty choices and deluded decisions. And, I th and most of us would say, yeah, we go with plan A in public. But uh, it seems like we go with plan B when we're often in private. Wise people understand that life is connected. Wise people understand that the past impacts the future and that uh, the present impacts the future and what, goings, what is going on now is going to show up later because life is connected. So James says, okay, do you think you're wise? Do you think you're insightful? Do you know how to keep things in perspective? If so, I want to challenge you. Let me see your wisdom. Let me see your understanding by the deeds you do and the humility that comes from wisdom because wise people are always humble. Let me say that again. Wise people are always humble. Self-centeredness or arrogance doesn't even make sense. Arrogance is irrational. Arrogance flies in the face of everything we know about how the world works and how the people are. James says, if you're wise, I want to see your wisdom and how you live your life. But true wisdom always is connected to humility. Wisdom understands that's what wisdom is. Wisdom is understanding how the world works and how things really are. And how they really are is not with you or me at the center. That's why the wiser you are, the humbler you're going to be. Let me restate that. The wiser you are, the more humble you should be. So reading on in verse 14, but if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but earthly, unspiritual, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. 
For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. James tells us here, here's the opposite of wisdom. It's when you allow envy to take over. It's when you allow selfish ambition to take over. And so if you allow these things into your heart or your soul, or if I allow these things in my heart or my soul, it really kind of flies in the face of reality. It flies in the face of the way the world really, really works. It's not wise. Envy you kind of keep on the inside, and selfish ambition is all about you because people who lack wisdom lack humility, and then they make the world all about themselves. Making the world all about you is not wise. Making the world all about you doesn't even make sense. And so James says if you're stuck, if you allow this stuff to harbor in your heart, it becomes the filter through which you live your life. You're just denying the truth. Wise people don't deny the truth. Wise people live in the light of the truth. And then James tells us something we already know. He says, because wherever you find this stuff lodged in a heart, wherever you find somebody deceived into thinking more, uh, they're more than they really are, they lack wisdom and humility. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. Uh, Jesus said that when you, have, when you get things lodged inside of you, they eventually come out. How dependent you are on the people around you, on the circumstances around you, can contribute to the deluded decisions that you make. And when you lose sight of that, arrogance gets lodged in your heart. And so eventually there's going to be disorder and evil practice because people who allow these things to get lodged in their heart are able to justify just about anything. So you find in yourself in that position, and most of us have a piece of it, it's a really scary thought because what's inside of you is coming for you. What's inside of you is coming for the people around you. So it's really, really important to deal with this. So the best time to deal with this is before you make a hasty choice or deluded decision. But the second best time, and this is going to sound really, really weird, the second best time to deal with this is right after you made a hasty choice or deluded decision. One of my uh, favorite maybe Red Stew stories ever is the uh, uh, prodigal son. It's found in, in Luke 15. And uh, most of you are familiar with this, how a son demands his share of the inheritance from his father, sets off to a distant country. In this foreign land, he squanders his wealth on extravagant living. And when a severe famine hits the land, the prodigal son finds himself in poverty and desperation. And so he has made a decision that being all about me is the best way to go. But as with most deluded decisions, things don't go for the better. But then something extraordinary happens. Realizing the dire situation in, that he's in, the son decides to return to his father's house, humbled, willing to serve as a hired servant. Turn with me to Luke 15 and, and verse 18. I will set out and go to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and he went to his father. 
and he nears his, his home and his father sees him from a distance and he runs to embrace him, showing him great compassion and love. And the father throws a joyous celebration to welcome his lost son back into the family because his father says, I can work with this. My son left foolish, but now he's become wise. One key takeaway from this is that God is looking for us. He wants us to come home. And when we do, he says, I can work with this. But another takeaway not to be missed is after you've made a deluded decision, it's a great time to become wise. So I wish I could get the red stew out of my life's cookbook, but I can't. Um, so, the, so the next best thing is to, to eat it as seldom as possible, but in order to do that, I have to prepare what I do with the right ingredients. And so first of all, I have to be humble and realize that God's way is the best way. And second, in my humility, I have to realize that serving others is better than serving myself. It sounds so simple, but it's so hard. And I'm really good at whipping up a batch of red stew where excuses become reasons and reasons become behaviors and those behaviors set me up for a diet of leftover red stew and put another way they set me up for future hasty choices and deluded decisions so tonight's a great time to break the cycle perhaps you're ready to declare that god's way is the best way and put Christ on in baptism, or perhaps you've had some bad decisions, or maybe you just find yourself in need of prayer. If you have any need, won't you come as forward as we sing the song that's been selected? <laughs> <laughs>